Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, shapes, sorts, and sizes. This is Josh Belcher, host of the Uncharted Podcast. We have a great lineup of guests for you this week. We have John Arezzi. He's on deck to talk about his new book, Matt Memories. We also have Ben Hilsinger, drummer of Eve Six and host of the Big Fat Five Podcast. Uh, anyway, before we get uh, into that, just let you know my week was very um, uneventful which can be a good thing, um, you know, just two doses of physical therapy, uh, which is turning out good, should be in a month, I should be back in order, back working two jobs, and back to the regular hustle and bustle that is life. I watched uh, episode two of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I don't know if you're up to date on that, so I won't give any spoilers, but it's good stuff, uh, Disney in one magnitude or another has my undivided attention because right after that i watched the new mighty ducks program um it's got a name and i can't remember what it is but there's a new class of kids and of course uh, you get to see gordon bombay it's good to relive those old memories at least when i was growing up we had mighty ducks one two and three now we have a new class of boys and girls taking the helm so without further ado let's get on with this uncharted podcast shall we This week on the podcast, we're glad to have John Arezzi. Now, he is a man of many, many talents. Recently wrote a book called Matt Memories, My Wildlife in Pro Wrestling, Country Music, and the Mets. We talk about his storied past, his history, and his future, and a whole lot more coming up on the Uncharted Podcast. John, let me just tell you, your voice uh, sounds just like I thought it would, very, very uh, precise and bold and full of confidence and uh thank you for this uh gathering of, of history it's uh it's there's so much going on it's like going to the circus for the first time every time you turn a page there's there's more adventure you did a really great service here with this book well thank you so much for that i really appreciate it it's been a roller coaster ride my life has <laughs> been. and and uh this book kind of puts it all together as much as i possibly could with um uh, the co-author, the person that I relied on, uh, Greg Oliver, who is uh, no stranger to uh, to books. Yeah, well, it shows it's great. And then, um, you know, what a what a career of hustling and opportunities and the people you've met. You know, I don't want to give too much of it away, but I will tell you something that really did impress me is that at 14, the way you were networking, and probably earlier than that, and then having being like the president of a fan club. That's a uh, you know, when I was 14, I I was, you know, my mind was totally teetering somewhere else. So uh, how did you just come up with such a forward-thinking, like, go-getter mentality at such a young age? Well, I mean, at uh, that age, I mean, I was a huge wrestling fan, and uh, I really admired Freddie Blassie. Uh, Freddie's a legendary figure in wrestling, and, and back in the day, when I first started watching wrestling and uh, developed a passion for it, Blassie was somebody that I gravitated to and all the stories I read in the newsstand magazines about his history and his battles from a lot of different health ailments, and he kept coming back. And, and the other thing, he was a good guy on the West Coast and a bad guy on the East Coast. So I really felt quite compelling as a wrestling personality. And 
I wanted to try to find my way to do something in the wrestling business, even at that young age. So uh, I noticed that he uh, had a fan club president, uh, Jeff Walton, out on the West Coast that now was working in the wrestling business and disbanded the club. And so I, I basically thought that I would start a fan club for him and and uh, kind of, you know, uh, aggressively – uh, filled out this permission ship and, and went to the dressing room entrance at Madison Square Garden where the security guards looked at me like I was nuts. And then one guy, uh, one younger security guard, just took the permission slip, took it in the back at Madison Square Garden. A few minutes later, he brought it back signed by Freddie Blassie, and that's kind of how it started at that yeah. at, at that age. And I enjoy that story. And plus you had the, you know, you even uh, sent it off to get it uh, – proof before like uh you know these authenticator things even existed like for collector's items and stuff yeah i mean uh, i felt that the person that i went to the matches with was a really good friend of mine and he was like yeah how do you know that's real and and i was like well i don't know you know because he signed the thing freddie with a y and i always saw it ie so i figured i'd send it out to jeff walton who was the president of the fan club before me and mailed it to him and and then he sent it back, and he said it was authentic, and that's how it all started. And then uh, I started sending him the newsletters when I started publishing them, and he uh, gave uh, copies to Fred, and Fred enjoyed it, and and then invited me to meet him face-to-face at Madison Square Garden in March 1973, and that's how I got my first uh, backstage uh, access to wrestling and met Freddie, and and uh, it went from there, and the fan club eventually won fan club of the year in 1974 at the Wrestling Fans International Association convention. Yeah, that, I, I saw that part, and that was impressive because you, you know, you're just not even out of high school yet, and, and winning these uh, accolades was such a good thing. It just, it's very impressive. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to dive into a little bit of this. I just wanted to let you know that. I read at the bottom of like a press release that they're working on this to be a movie, which rightfully so. But as I go down the chapters, like one thing that sucked me, and, I, and I'm skipping a couple of steps here, but like when you were right in the thick of the uh, the 80s slash 90s, like sexual harassment and steroid abuse things going on in the WWF at the time, you know, you're talking about the Phil Donahue thing. Well, I wanted to see it, and we just live in a time where like I went to YouTube and like right before we spoke, got to watch it. Mainly because I wanted to see how you described Vince McMahon, and boy, you were right. The looks he was giving was crazy. Yeah, I mean, that was a dark period in wrestling, and it really was an obligation with my radio show, my radio show at the time, Pro Wrestling Spotlight, to cover these uh, events as they were unfolding. And, and Vince McMahon was somebody that I knew as in the 70s as a ringside photographer. And, and uh, you know, with all the scandals that were happening, it was, it was a dark time. It wasn't enjoyable. And I wasn't really even happy with myself on that panel on the Donahue show. I didn't like the way I looked. I had these dark glasses on. I, I just wasn't happy with that whole situation as I look back at it. But uh, McMahon, uh, he was at the brink at that time of seeing the whole thing collapse. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that if these allegations happened today, with everything that's going on and the cancel culture and people really, you know, really taking these matters seriously, like they should have done back back then, uh, it would have been a whole different story. I mean, his whole empire could have crumbled if, uh, if this stuff happened today. Yeah. And, and at that time of the video, like you said, it's in the, I'm assuming the early nineties, I was just a kid then myself, probably still in elementary school, but 
um, they were talking even then the WWF was a billion-dollar empire. That yes. Just, that just threw me for a loop. Yeah, now it's a multi-billion-dollar empire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Um, I saw something that really impressed me. You had you recorded the first footage of Andre the Giant. Did I get that correct? Uh, the first uh, Matt, not, the first footage of Andre, uh, it was actually his debut performance. First time he was brought in to the WWF back in that same show that I met Delassie. It was March of 1973, and uh, I had an eight millimeter camera that I took to the matches uh, back in the day. And and you know here he comes. I mean, and I was able to capture that on eight millimeter film. So that is the only known footage of. Uh, Andre the Giant at Madison Square Garden making his debut uh, that night. Wow, that's so neat. That's got to be priceless footage, I'd imagine, <laughs> or close to. Uh, it. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's worth uh, worth something. As a matter of fact, I was recently reached out to uh, by the WWE and A and E networks uh, because they're doing a new series that's debuting at the end of April, and it's finding lost wrestling treasures, and they're mm-hmm. doing a whole episode on Andre the Giant and collectibles and uh and so they've asked me uh uh for that footage to license that footage for that show so i'm still in discussions with them about that um uh they're uh, you know they're kind of doing it on the cheap in regards to paying for any license fees and uh-huh. and i'm trying to navigate through that but uh, hopefully we'll work it out and everyone will be able to see that footage uh, on this new a and e show yeah that's awesome and then if if that's not enough, and like I said, I like about the book for a guy with ADD like me, you jump from that to like uh, Major League Baseball. <laughs> I mean, you know, you talk about the the Mets, which I really enjoyed your relationship with your uncle, and that you know a day earlier you'd have been a Yankees fan, and then working for them. I mean, how I would say through your life, did you did you pretty much uh, are still you know you're still going, but did you, did you accomplish everything you wanted to so far? Uh, in my life, I mean, I would think at this point, at 64 years old, I, I certainly have been in a lot of high-profile industries. I really had a full life in regards to everything that I've done and, and all the different um, occupations that I've held. So uh, right now, I mean, for me, I don't know what's next. I mean, I mean, the book is coming out April the 6th. Uh, there are There is some talk about a potential uh, documentary uh about my life and uh if that happens that would be wonderful that'll be a major project obviously because i've documented literally everything i've ever done in my life and um so we'll see what happens i mean but for now it's getting this book out there and launched and uh, hopefully it'll get good reviews uh what i've seen so far have been really encouraging sales have been encouraging so you never know what's going to happen when you put a book out there and it's my first one uh, so we'll see. I'm open to anything at this point. That's good, yeah, because there's definitely be people knocking, wanting to to get a, you know, like a, definitely a visual version of it because that's that's what I was compelled to do. After every chapter, there was something so amazing that I was actually going on a hunt on YouTube trying to find it. Uh, just, uh, you know, it'd be a perfect doc or a movie or whatever. But, um, you know, like I said, on to baseball, and then. I enjoyed, you know, obviously I live here in Middle Tennessee. Uh, I'm from the Franklin, Tennessee area, but, you know, Music City and all that. Yeah, that's where I live. I live in Franklin. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's one of the greatest places on earth. But um, you discovered who actually is my grandfather's favorite singer, and uh, I never knew, and I've seen her live, that she actually had a rock career because her voice is so made for country. 
you brought up a valid point. She's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Very much should be. Um, but you uh, you described some times about her that I would have never fathomed, and I appreciate your honesty. Like, uh, how did she feel when you approached her about putting a chapter about her in there? Patty Loveless, that is. I'm sorry. Uh, Patty Loveless, yeah. I mean, I go way back with Patty. I mean, she changed my entire life uh, when I went into that rock club one night and seen her and uh, eventually left my job with the Mets to uh, try to manage her with no experience. But, uh, you know, Patty and I, our relationship um, has been up and down. Uh, and, um, you know, when we, you know, we were still uh, friends. Last time I saw her really was 2014 at the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, when Sarah Darling played that night. Uh, uh, but Patty, uh, those days for her, when I was associating with her, those were days that were pretty dark for Patty. That was the worst period of her life. And she doesn't like to, you know, even though she talked about those days and, and media interviews and such, uh, The to be honest with you, I mean, I did reach out to her uh, to let her know that I am writing a book. I never heard back. So, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, all I know is that I was truthful in the book, and uh, I certainly hope that uh, once she reads it and she sees that uh, it was done in a, in a really loving way to talk about those days and how she influenced me and how I hopefully influenced her to put that dream back in her heart. And, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing, because I, uh, I reached out a couple times, didn't hear back, and I was like, well, there's nothing I can do. Uh, I am uh, still friends with uh, a woman who uh, I introduced to Patty uh, in North Carolina who remains uh, very dear friends and best of friends with her. So um, I guess I'll see. (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know how she's going to react, and I hope it's in a positive way. Uh, because the, the last thing I would ever want to do is, uh, you know, is to hurt her in any way, and I, I don't think I did in the book. It was, it was a time period where, you know, I guess, you know, everybody has things in their past I'd like to forget, but uh-huh. we'll see. You know, I'm optimistic that when she reads it, she'll reach out and uh, we can have a discussion about it. Yeah, it was it was tastefully done. You know, it, it didn't have any smear to it. Uh, very. Yeah. Uh, what I enjoyed about it is that being a wrestling fan and reading wrestlers' books, uh, there's a lot of embellishment. But for someone who has been in that spotlight as you have for such a long time with such a well-established career, you didn't really embellish most of this. This is honest, raw feelings. Like even when you share, you know, weight fluctuation, which is something I suffer with, you know, exercising, being one weight, being uncomfortable with another. I just felt like, like I feel like I already know you, even though I don't. <laughs> You just invited us all in, and I just I really appreciate that kind of writing because it, it just makes you want to keep going because it's like even with the Patty stuff, even though I didn't know it, it was done in good taste, and and you, and you, you felt uh, what you felt for her was genuine, and you were not on there to like cause any smear campaign if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's the, that's the way I felt when I was writing it, and it was a tough it was the toughest chapter for me to write in the entire book uh, because it was so personal to me and. Uh, it uh, you know brought back those memories from back in the day that uh, I was I was young. Patty was is three weeks older than I am, so back then we were both 23, 24 years old. And, uh, we were very young. We were kids in a in, the, in a sense of the word, but um, uh, yeah, I, I uh, and then I appreciate you saying you know what I shared, even about the weight stuff. I mean, it it was just kind of like at this point in my life, it's like 
have the opportunity to tell the story and tell my story and tell uh, the way I lived my life. And, and not very many people get that opportunity to put it in a book. So uh, you saying that, that it drew you in and you felt like you know me, that's all I can ask for, man. Yeah. Well, it's great uh, because, uh, you know, loving wrestling and, and you just, you were just honest about it. Like it was stripped down. Like as you're describing it, I'm seeing it like, you know, I'm, it's like I'm in the moment and I just love people that capture books like that. And, and, and you did it and it just, it drew me in, but let's get to this. When I first got into wrestling, when I fell in love with it was the attitude era and I'm in the beginning of the Vince Russo chapter. And I, if I'm mistaken, did you apologize for finding him? Uh, I never apologized for finding Vince. Uh, you know, Vince and I have had a tumultuous uh, relationship uh, since the days that I brought him in as an advertiser on my Pro Wrestling Spotlight radio show in mid-1991 and then became a partner for him on a, for a very short period of time. Uh, Vince went on to do some amazing things in the WWF. I mean, he was uh, part and parcel with Vince McMahon uh, developing that Attitude Era. And he did some amazing things in the business, and he did some things that were really not so amazing. He did some things that were uh, that brought the business down, in, in my opinion, in some ways. But he has always been a polarizing figure, uh, and it was somebody that uh, over the course of the years that I was associated the, – the, the short time was associated with him, but the years afterwards, uh, I didn't talk to Vince for 20-something years until 2018, and – and he had said some things that my nephew picked up on in a podcast and shared a link with me, and I decided to reach out and say, listen, all these years have passed. It's time for us to clear the air once and for all. And we did that uh, on YouTube, which is still there. We had a very heart-to-heart -heart, uh, talk, and we talked out our differences. And I'm happy to say that uh, at this moment in time, uh, you know, we have an amicable relationship. Uh, we're not best of friends, but uh, – uh, we have a mutual respect for each other, and uh, and I, I'm, I'm, his first book was called Forgiven, and uh, I forgave him for the things that happened back then, and and um, so to this day, I mean, I don't have that animosity and that that inner hatred that I had for him over over the years uh, that he was in the business, and um, you know, it's a it's a story about redemption in a lot of ways, my relationship with him. And uh, so today we're on, uh, we're on good footing. That's, that's the best that I can ask for. It's, it's a, uh, it's rough, but if you can be amicable and uh, you sound like a real reasonable guy and, and, and I could totally see you uh, making amends on both ends. And now that you mentioned that video, I'm going to be uh, watching it after we get done discussing this. Um, so uh, thank you for yep. letting me know about well, that. But, it's so, over two hours. I mean, it was, uh, it's very heart to heart and, uh, you know, he cried at one point during it, which was uh, surprising to me. But uh, I felt I touched the nerve, and I, I just uh, we let it all out. And it is a compelling, it, it's a compelling interview to watch uh, because I had at that point I had nothing to lose, man. I didn't think I was getting back in the wrestling business uh, at that time, and uh, and uh, it was just me as an individual and as a person to say. You said a lot of things about me in your book and on some podcasts, and they were mis they were they were not factual, uh, and uh, we cleared it up. So uh, uh, that's a lot of years ago, uh, Vince and I met. So uh, you don't hold a grudge, and I you know I realized in my life there's no um, you know there's no reason to hold lifelong grudges with people. If you you're not getting along with someone, get them out of your life. 
uh, don't communicate with him. But this thing with Vince and I had been festering and had been out there for a lot of years. And I was uh, not answering anything because I was out of the business. But uh, but in a funny way, he kind of brought me back in because once that interview happened and once I just uh, just uh, out of curiosity opened a Twitter account under my name, at John Arezzi, uh, people remembered me, and then it slowly got me back in. So if my nephew didn't listen to that podcast and share that link, uh, we might we might we might not be having this conversation today. Well, well I'm glad he did. And like like I said, he seems like a great nephew to have. I know you're pretty crazy about him. <laughs> yeah. I dedicated my book to him. Yes, I, I like that. That was really neat. That's that's the first I saw. It. And then of course, you know, the Met stuff and everything. Um, one more thing, sir, and like I said, thank you for, for being generous with your time because I don't want to give too much away, but these are just certain parts I enjoyed. Uh, I always knew Kelsey Ballerini, who's uh, what, a, what a talent, uh, was discovered in Franklin. That was always a point of pride for me from being there, but I, did, I didn't know that you're involved in that story. If you could share a little bit of that with us. Oh, yeah. Um, Kelsey was having lunch at the Mellow Mushroom. I was there that day with my nephew, Dominic, and uh, a friend of mine, Suzanne Alexander, who was a host at uh, Great American Country Television, where I had worked uh, years ago. Uh uh, She was sitting at the table, and she gets up, and she comes up to me, and she asks me if I managed Sarah Darling, uh, which was an artist I was working with at the time. I said yes, and she said, well, I'm I'm a singer-songwriter. I live here in Franklin, and and we're friends on Facebook. I was like, oh, okay. And uh, and then uh, I asked her, you know, if she, if she wrote songs. He said she had about 200 songs. And I invited her into my office. And I was the vice president of Black River Entertainment at the time. And uh, she came into my office and she sang a few songs for me that absolutely blew me away. So I uh, made the introduction uh, to her, uh, to our label uh, head, at the, uh, who's there still, Gordon Kerr. And, um, you know, he wasn't over the top about her, but uh, then I brought Kelsey in to meet our head of publishing and Celia Froelich, who really felt the same way I did, that there was something special here. And we nurtured her and worked with her. And um, and then I got terminated from Black River in March of, of 2013. Um, and then Kelsey took off. I mean, she uh, she she really has made an impact. Uh, unfortunately, as things happen sometimes in the music business and in other areas, uh, you know, right now my my uh, discovery of her is really kind of revisionist history. I'm not really brought up very much. Uh, people have a tendency to change over the course of the years if they get famous or whatever. I always thought Kelsey was a sweet girl, and I haven't talked to her really for many years now. It's been Right after the first single came out was the last communication I had with her, uh, and uh, and that was it. So uh, you know, I I I um I know I, I know what I did. I found her. I brought her in. I helped nurture her. I navigated her through the company at Black River. I uh, I did a lot for her, and and now it's kind of like John who? <laughs> yeah, I understand. And that's unfortunate about the business, you know, as a podcaster and a musician and just a lover of music in general. It does seem, now I don't have any dealings compared to what you've been through, but it does seem in certain areas it's very cutthroat um, uh, as soon as you get to a certain status or whatever. It is. I mean, it's a very competitive business, and there's only a few slots. And, and, uh, uh, but, you know, Kelsey 
was and is a very aggressive person. She's very talented. She's an extremely gifted songwriter. Um, she's doing incredible things. Uh, I'm very proud of what she's done uh, because, uh, you know, and I think people get insulated in the business too. So, you know, you have teams of public relations people around you and label people around you and managers and agents. So, you know, you tend to get insulated when you get to the, her level. So um, I'm sure that if she's seen me today, uh, you know, all would be great because I really have nothing but the utmost respect for her and her mom. And um, I think she's done incredible things and will continue to do so. Yeah, I, I agree. Are you still taking in talent if, if anybody finds anybody? Am I doing what? Uh, if somebody, are you still uh... – um, nurturing talent, like are you still uh, representing people if you found anybody worth No, I, uh, I mean, I started a, uh, a company a while back in Nashville in 2016 with a, a former singer that I actually managed a long time ago, and we started a crowdfunding company for emerging artists and young discovery acts. Uh, it, was a, it was a company that we'd raise money for them through their fan base and then open the doors in Nashville to them. Uh, you know, we were, we were gaining some traction, uh, but uh, what I discovered uh, during that process was that I was getting older and that I couldn't really relate to the younger artists anymore. I mean, it's a whole different business. It's a whole different way of development and uh, discovery of artists. And I just found that uh, uh, it was a generational thing more than anything else that I really felt that the most of the artists that I was uh, working with, with uh, Bantwango was the name of the company, uh, they were different. They were not. Um, they were more sensitive. They didn't like to hear criticism. Uh, they were more interested in taking photographs of their lunch and putting it on Instagram than uh, focusing on their music career. You know, everybody wanted to be, uh, you know, instant stars. So uh, that was a frustrating thing for me. So at this point, um, and I don't see myself getting back into music. At this point, it was like all right, uh, I'm aged out of this, and these artists are, are, are not uh, on the same, uh, on the same uh, passionate plane of the artists that I was working with earlier on. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. Um, I'm a 38-year-old person myself, and, and I felt the same way about certain things, just observing music now and how people approach it in attitudes, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, unfortunately, people are wanting instant gratification versus what it takes to actually get there and harness a true craft. That is true. That is true. But, it, hey, listen, Nashville is still Music City. There's still an incredible uh, pool of talent there that comes there every month to try to get discovered. And, of course, with the pandemic, it, it really messed things as well. So um, I still have an extreme fondness for uh, for Music City. I love Music City. I still uh, maintain a residence there, uh, and um, you know that's part of evolution of life. Things change, you know. The Uncharted Podcast is pleased to announce guest Ben Hilzinger. Ben's the drummer of Eve Six and the host of the Big Fat Five podcast. Now he is a phenomenal drummer. We're going to talk about that, music, and a whole lot more coming up right now. Thank you. And I wanted to tell you while it was on my mind, uh, listening and watching your podcast is where I inspire to be 
Uh, I have the equipment, have no idea how to use it, uh, how to utilize it. Uh, so mm. I'm at the bare minimum of podcasting, but uh, I can run my mouth, so I've got that going for me. Well, dude, if you ever need any advice, man, or anything like that, let me know. I mean, I'm more than happy because I, I just, I mean, I figured it out as I went along. So, and yeah. I have very minimal equipment. I mean, I have my Mac, my 7B, and uh, yeah, like a two-channel interface. That's all I got. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I the processing and stuff is behind the scenes, but yeah. Yeah, it's just it's it's well put. I thoroughly enjoy it. I, if I do a face to face interview, it's on it's on Zoom, but like uh, you know, it's just baby steps for me. But uh, mm-hmm. I, yeah, you know, I enjoy, yeah, I listened to the whole episode with uh, with Liberty, uh, which is a great great interview. One of the best drummers that ever lived, and and just it's good when you hear them and they sound like they're like real people because you always hold them to such high standards. Or at least I do. No, definitely, dude. And that's uh, Liberty really is a real person for sure. I mean, we were. You know, the, the the hardest part, I guess, about the whole show is like <clears throat> editing, editing out the stuff that, uh, you know, doesn't really, uh, I guess, move the story along that I, I, not that I don't think it's interesting and that people, you know, it's just like, it's like kind of meanders for 10 minutes and like, well, let's keep it more focused to this. But we had, yeah, that, I think I'd edit that down from like a two hour conversation. We had, we had a good time. <laughs> That's great. Let's, let's mention that name. Uh, Big Fat Five podcast, which is you know a, a fantastic if you're a drummer, inspired drummer, or just love drummers, um, uh, and that that ties in with you're like uh, uh, client relations for Big Fat Snare Drum, or what's the story behind that? If you could tell me a little bit. Yeah, so I am in a band Eve Six, and yep. and a while back, uh, gosh, three four years ago now, I was on tour with them. And I might be getting the timeline mixed up. But basically, um, there was a few lineup changes when Eve Six got back together and the original uh, guitarist, John Siebels, uh, when the band got back together, couldn't form or couldn't come back as he was already doing his other thing during the hiatus. So Chris, the owner of Big Fat Snare Drum, his brother, Matt Coma, who is amazing in and of himself, um, joined the band. And so even when John came back to the band officially, Chris has always been just friends with the boys. So when we were on tour in Boston, Chris, the owner of Big Fat Snare Drum, came out to the show. And, you know, just like any drummer, within five minutes, you're talking gear, and then you're like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> and so I was a big fan of Big Fat Snare Drum. And I just said, hey, man, like, I was kind of at the point, Eve 6 was getting it, getting to the point where I, I couldn't have a second job because it was like, busy enough and sporadic enough that I couldn't really hold down a, a, a normal day gig. And mm-hmm. E6 was also paying the bills. So I just needed something with a little more freedom. But I just said to Chris, hey, man, if you ever need any help with Big Fat, you know, just – I wasn't really even asking for a job. It was main, mainly just, like, networking and just whatever. And so he, um, two weeks later, he was like, dude, yeah, I actually need – I'm, like, behind on thousands of emails. And it's getting to the point where I need someone else to kind of – you know, help me make my life easier. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of what it became. But I've been working with him for about three years now. And yeah, it, it's hard to kind of pinpoint what I do. I know I, it says client relations and artist relations, but I'm basically just the guy that makes Chris's life easier. You know, I try and be the liaison to any kind of communication. Um, and uh, I would say most of what we do is we just chat hours on end on the daily of just like mm-hmm. new product ideas and pump each other up. So I'm just his like hype man. <laughs> I get paid. Hey, you, can't, you can't beat that. Yeah, but he's like basically my best friend. I mean, at that, at this point, he's probably the closest person, especially during the pandemic. I mean, 
I see and hear his voice more than any other person, you know? Yeah, no, no doubt. And it's a crazy time, especially like, you know, and I've told several artists that I would wear like a Breaking Bad hazmat suit to go listen to live music again. It's killing oh, me. Oh, my. I know. It's, <laughs> the one thing I will say is uh, I'm looking forward to when shows do come back, at least for the, the you know, the beginning part of it, that we don't have to do meet and greets, which I love meet and greets <laughs> for the most part. But sometimes it's like it's it's sometimes like pulling teeth with some people, you know, and sure. it's just uh, it gets kind of awkward sometimes. So it's I mean, I sound like such a curmudgeon right now. I do love meeting everyone and I appreciate everyone. But, you know, it's uh, not having to shake 400 hands uh, yeah. will be will be nice for my mental health, knowing that I'm not, you know, because like every tour, I'm sure you've been on tour. It's like you get sick every tour at least once and i'm sure because you're shaking hands every day is probably the main reason so i'm looking forward to if it just being uh, healthier in general sure and plus i mean you know you've got fans and you're grateful for them and everything but you know everybody has different moods and personas and sometimes you just don't feel like hearing the same story 500 times or or, or explaining <laughs> the same thing you know over and over and over well and to me too just full disclosure so i'm not the original drummer of these sex and it's I do have a beard, so I kind of look, and I'm probably like eight or nine years younger than the two guys, but because I have a beard, I kind of look older, and uh -huh. so some people will just come up, and they're like, oh, my God, so what was the story of this one, uh, <laughs> you know, how'd you play Inside Out? And I, like, the, the hardest part for me is, like, I'm actually not on that song, and uh, and then they try and act like they still care. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah, because uh, I feel bad, yeah. Yeah, 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 or there's a time, and they're like, hey, can you guys sign my record? And they come to me, they're like, not you. I'm like, all right, you know, that's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like, I don't, I, when you said that in part, it made me think about the movie um, Chasing Amy. Did you ever see that? No. Oh, my God. I'm so bad at movies. I need okay. to get better at Well, that's those. a Kevin Smith. That's a Kevin Smith classic. And anyway, okay. it like basically talks about the origins of Blunt Man and Chronic, like his response to Batman and Robin. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Ben Affleck's the, the guy that uh, draws the characters and, um, Oh, the guy that Jason Lee, the other guy, is mm -hmm. is the inker, like the guy that traces around it and everything. And the guy in line, he goes, "I don't want your autograph. You're just a tracer. I want the real drawer, blunt man." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. It is it is nice though that since I've been in the band multiple years now, we you know we do. I'm not the new guy anymore, so it is it is getting better and better. And uh, you know, I'm on the new recordings, and so it is It is getting – there's less and less of that, but it was funny at the beginning, which, I mean, I've been a side guy many a time, and so it's it's not like I'm sad about it, but it's just not having to have those, you know. It's more I feel bad that I let them down, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I want to just be like, oh, yeah, no, the recording of Inside Out was great. I just want to pretend like it was me just to yeah. make them not feel bad that they didn't know. <laughs> you could be like, you know? yeah, the first time I heard it, I was in sixth grade. It was fantastic, you know, heart exactly. to and all that good stuff. <laughs> I just come on the other side of the desk and start asking the boys questions with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, a fantastic band. I've I've followed them forever. They uh they came out like I said about the probably same time for me, uh probably seventh or eighth grade and um just have always enjoyed them. I always like a tight knit three piece and then um uh their songs, uh, you know, like like promise. It's so like all over the place but it just it all blends together. And I just like, you know, their approach and everything and I'm all about the guy that like comes in and holds his own like you don't necessarily have to be an original guy but like it's everybody's dream in music or at least most people would latch onto a band they enjoy and get to play with them like um 
I, I picked up bass, and I know Chevelle needs a new bass player, and I couldn't do it, but I'd like to. <laughs> oh, how dare! I haven't heard of Chevelle in a long time. Yeah, dude, uh, send the pain below. Is that that song? Yeah, they just released them? a new, yeah, a brand new album, um, and and their uh, their first bass player was their brother. What made them really unique because they were a three piece, just brothers. Oh, okay. Their second bass player, who was there 15 years, was their brother-in-law, and he stopped to – his kids are getting older, you know, constantly on the road. He played this new album that's been out for a week, and now they're needing another one. And, like, I can play three or four songs right now, and I'm like, man, I just want to put my name in that hat. I know I can't do it, but just to go over there and jam and let them tell me in three minutes they don't like me. <laughs> why, well, yeah, why Why can't you do it? What's What's that uh, Well, no, I, I'm, I'm new at bass. I'm, I'm pretty, oh, okay. pretty fresh. Like, I could hold my own, but, you know, no pro band's going to want to go, all right, you need to put this in drop D and, like, start right here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just uh, playing, you know, playing drums my whole life and everything and just having to switch to something because when you have a surgery to that caliber, like my shoulder, they're like, okay, this is the difference between 10 years of it and 25. And um, so, like, I'm going to have to cut out some things, especially hammering away. So I had to, I had to like, make a couple of shifts it's it's a crazy situation or at least for me because it hurt and i really don't want to do it in 10 more years because it was it was quite a transition uh as far as everything hurting once the, the pain uh the medicine and everything wears off so oh man dude yeah i don't even want to, i have a this is going to sound completely douchey but i'm going to say anyways i'm a i'm a really big fan of yoga um mm -hmm. i also have long hair and live in la but yep. um, but uh, yeah. So I I have this reoccurring rotator cuff issue just from drumming and just you know growing yeah. up with Travis Barker and having my cymbals way too damn high and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And so if I do certain moves, I'm like, oh, that hurts for three days. Um, I'm also 33, <laughs> so I'm not necessarily in the age where I don't think about is this a permanent thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's I don't want to. Let's let, let's not talk about shoulders anymore because I'm just gonna stress yeah. out about it. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, let's 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 keep yeah. So you're still you're still teetering. Yeah. Everything's good. I, I've been there. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about uh, okay. So you said you know you played on the new stuff. So this new song is called like Black Nova, right? Am I correct? Did I say it right? You are. Yeah, it's actually yeah. I was gonna make say Black Nova, but yeah, it is it is Black uh -huh. Nova. But no, edit that bad joke out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, like, great song. I like the video and everything. So you're all over that as far as playing and everything, right? Yeah. So that actually, man, that was recorded dude, pre-pandemic. No kidding. Um, that was recorded in January of 2020, and just uh, you know, we we're going to do a tour to support it. And I mean, basically, we had a whole year of of, of a whole plan coming out. Um, that it got pushed back, but um, it's at the, actually a good thing because then we signed with Velocity Records, um, and then they were able to help put the EP out, or they're going to help put the EP out. And we signed to them, but the record comes out in June. And then uh, I'm not sure if the boys will be happy if I say this, but we're already working on a full length. Um, nice. We're going to be recording. Uh, the songs are so fun. Um, it gets all the all the nostalgia that people love about Max's wordplay and. Uh, uh, but has a little more of a progression in a, in the direction we want to go. So, um, but yeah, the EP has five songs on it, and I'm on all five of those. There but you go. Black Nova was really fun to record. It's uh, <laughs> there's like no fills in the so the whole song except just like for Rianda on the snare going into the choruses, and it's uh, it's just me holding it down the whole time, which is fun. It's fun to you know fills are fun, but just yeah. grooving and just staying in that pocket is as I get older is probably more fun. Hey, uh, Meg White took that very 
same attitude and and toured the world and made millions off of it. So there's no shame in that game. I hope she made millions. She definitely deserves it. I don't know if that's the case or not, but um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I definitely uh, she definitely uh, reached millions of people with her playing. I I love her playing. Uh, she is man. I wish she was less of a. I mean, maybe maybe I, I enjoy the fact that she's like an enigma, but because uh, like, what is she doing right now? You know, who knows? She's just hopefully, you know, just living a quiet life and enjoying it, and uh, you know, looking back on her memories with with, uh, with uh, white stripes fondly. But oh, yeah, she yeah. was one of the best to do it, hands down, the best to yeah. do it. She just she was right there in the pocket, man. She she took it to the world. And the reason I said millions is because you know Jack White has you know all he has a nice house in Nashville, and you see him out and about. And, he seems to be yeah. pretty good, but then again, he's he's got other projects, and um, you know they're celebrating the milestone. I think it's like 25 year anniversary of their first album, and he's the only one promoting it. Like you said, I haven't seen her at all anywhere. Like he did a thing uh, at his uh, Third Man Records, and like she was nowhere to be found. So, but like you said, I hope whatever she's doing, she's content and you know at peace. I guess. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't really know the backstory, but I think that it was just she never really enjoyed the fame and I think that it was all about the music for her and uh, I think she just wanted to live a quiet life which, which to be honest I mean if I could have the choice of kind of burning out without actually burning out in a bad way just being like I've done I've seen every city I've played every major thing I just want to chill for a bit you know I, I I envy her I mean good good on her for I mean not being on social media I'm sure she's way happier than all of us <laughs> absolutely yeah pining over what the next thing's going on, especially since I started this podcast, which I love it because I get to talk to people like you who, who lead interesting lives and, and, and educate me in life. But I, I look around and I look at mine, I'm like, okay, I've got, you know, 3,000, 4,000 views this week. Oh my gosh, Joe Rogan just had The Undertaker on and he's probably going to have 6 million. So what, <laughs> where am I messing up? You know, it's just, it's a constant stress of trying to better yourself. So if you can get out of oh, yeah. the hustle and bustle of trying to keep ahead, uh, yeah, I'm uh, more more power to her. Um, let's switch over to so with with um, you know not so much idle time. Obviously, you're still busy, but are you doing like uh, online clinicians? Are you teaching people, or, or what do you got going in that avenue? As far as like, are you doing like the whole where you like Zoom or Skype somebody and give lessons? Um, yeah, I do. I do teach a bit. Um, I mean, to be honest, I I uh, most of my time is 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 just working on my own playing and uh working with big fat snare drum and then but yeah i do i do teach uh zoom and um at first you know at the beginning of the pandemic i invested in some outboard gear and i live in a house uh in los angeles that has a kind of a, a, a live room studio space downstairs and so i was able to set it up and um i basically i mean i grew up on punk rock and hitting really hard and 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 this this room down here is, is is a little smaller and doesn't have a lot of reflection in it so i was recording myself doing kind of my normal tropes of, of drumming the way i normally did grew up and i was listening back on all the playbacks and i was just super uninspired and so this last because i mean i just i was hitting too hard i didn't really have the dynamics i mean it worked for the bands i play live in but recording myself i was just like i don't really like the way i sound anymore and so i actually pulled a 180 and there was, uh, it all started with me interviewing James Gadsden for my own podcast, Big Fat Five, uh-huh. and uh, which I bring on and, and people talk about their top five influences or people like James Gadsden. He just discussed his the record he recorded that kind of best sum, sum up his life. And so, in the, I mean, I, I've always been a huge fan of Motown and, and James Gadsden in general and Bill Withers, but 
prepping for his podcast, I actually tried to, you know, I always try and play to the songs of the guests I'm going to be talking to. And so I tried to play along to all the songs he, he gave me for his choices. And I just had such a good time just totally dismembering everything of my technique and the way I was playing. And I was trying to play more like him. And then after that interview, I just went down a rabbit hole of just 60s and 70s, you know, Detroit, um, just Motown records and those old, you know, mono records. And I had such a good time. In the last like seven months, I've really just totally, totally changed my playing. I mean, I still enjoy playing. Obviously, I'm in Eve 6. I love playing that music. But for a recording aspect, I've been, most of my time this pandemic has been spent totally recalibrating my, my own playing. And uh, cool. I recently just got an old, uh, you know, MIJ made in Japan kit. And I now have two rack toms on like that are attached to the bass drum, which is huge for me. I was always like the one rack tom on the left with the, on the snare stand with the yep. right cymbal. And just, you know, players like Joey Warrenker and stuff have totally, my setup is totally different. My cymbals are so much lower. Uh, my, my, my heads are so much deader. I've just been really enjoying, you know, doing that. But, uh, yeah, I've been kind of selfish with my time in the pandemic. I haven't really been like doing the remote recordings for people and because mm -hmm. there's so many people you can choose from. You know, and I just have to, I just have to know that I, yeah, I can charge people to do remote sessions and I can get good sounds for when I do stuff with my bands. But while all my friends are pivoting to that stuff, I was like, let's just be a better drummer. So when it comes back, I have a little more direction on what I want, you know, what I want my voice to be. Yeah, if right. that makes sense. And and there's no, you know, like I said, uh, as we get older, I, I got a few steps ahead of you, but I, I've learned that your taste, at least mine do my taste. Uh, the way I want to play, just everything, it, it changes. I mean, you, your feelings change about things. Like, there's things I listened to 10 years ago I still enjoy, but, like, not so much now. Like, uh, it's all in perspective, and it, you got to grow as your mind and spirit are telling you, I guess, if that makes any sense. No, totally. I think always, in a weird way, walking away from – maybe not walking away from it, but backstory on what I'm trying to articulate but doing a bad job at is – I grew up on my dad's construction site. He owns a, like a construction remodeling business up in Washington. And he would always just have Oldies 101.1, which is the stereo, the FM station up in Spokane, Washington. And it was just 50s, 60s, and 70s music. And I always remember, I mean, that's like my music growing up. You know, like, yes, I listened to Blink and the whole, you know, early Warped Tour stuff, which kind of formed my playing nowadays, which has got me the gigs that I have right now, which I'm super grateful for that style of drumming but from the very beginning the drums that always really resonated with me were you know the Jim Gordons the the Keltners the the OGs but you know when they were really trailblazing in the late 50s and 60s on what rock and roll was and what rock drums were and you'd be surprised how light those guys hit and uh yeah so that's I've, I've just basically gone full circle to like oh that is the best drumming to me you know? <laughs> yeah yeah, right on. That, nothing wrong with growth. Um, my next question was, how many drum kits do you have currently? Do you have more than one? Definitely do have more than one. Let's see. I have a, a Vista Light, a Tequila Sunrise, which is the like the plastic Ludwig ones. Um, it's a reissue. It's not an old one, but it's got the red, orange, and yellow stripe. And that's like my E6 live loud kit. Yeah, that I, have. I, I think I saw that one in a video. It looks like the Astro Pops, like the old candy suckers. 
Yep, exactly. That's uh, that one's. I mean, if I'm not doing a fly date, uh, I always tour with that guy because it's just so fucking loud, man. Yeah, um, and it looks cool. You know, yeah, just, you know, it look, <laughs> you gotta. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, we gotta look cool. So uh, there's that, and then I have uh, a, a bigger, more like Bonham-esque kit uh, that's also Ludwig. It's like a 24, uh, 13, 16, and it's got that mod orange. It's like kind of a tangerine, like a, a Densmore from the from the Doors. Yeah, right. Looks on. like looks like Jupiter, and then yeah, I have, I have some <laughs> Rogers Toms, Rogers Holiday Toms that are kind of my studio kit. Um, really thick toms. There, I mean, like the floor tom is so heavy, and it's got this sh- uh, ginger champagne glitter to it. Um, and then I have an, that Mij kit that I'm talking about, which I don't even know what brand it is. It's got a circle logo from the from, from the from a distance. It looks like a Gretsch round badge, but it's definitely not. Um, but yeah, it's a little more jazz size. It's 12. Well, the the bass drum's jazz. It's 20 inch, and then I got 12, 13, 16. But it's a yeah, it's like from the early 60s, and it's um. It's been modded and, and modernized by my buddy from Rainier Drum Shop up in uh, up in Washington. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna have a, a, a 1963 Super Legacy 22 uh, inch uh, Ludwig kick uh, in wow. Silver Sparkle, and then I have a bunch of snare drums. So, I mean, I have every Superphonic, uh, Acrylite, Sensitones, Maple Free Floaters, bunch of random shit. But uh, yeah, I like to. Um, yeah, I'm not sponsored by anyone. Because I have, I am too ADD with my gear. Um, I don't think unless someone was like, "We'll make you five thousand kits for free." I don't think um, you know. And by the time this comes out, I'm like sponsored by Ludwig. But uh, no, I just yeah, Ludwig. If you're listening, I'm totally kidding. But um, no, I just I don't really I don't really care about endorsements. You know, it's funny because I work for Big Bad Snare Drum, and I'm kind of the artist guy. But endorsements are the last thing from my mind. Yeah. I just think that it's 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 the wrong avenue to go down to have that be your focus on on uh, thinking that that'll get you legitimacy to your peers. It really I couldn't care less about that. Yeah, that's the best. It's more freeing to be that way. It really is. I'm trying to get that way myself. I'm still not quite there, but I can respect somebody that is. Uh-huh. Well, and and the, the funny thing is, like most of my friends that are endorsed by company A. Very rarely are they exclusively using company B A in the studio. It's usually two toms from company B, a rack from you know, a kick drum from company C, and then five thousand snare drums from companies you know D through Z. So yeah, exactly. I've been in a couple of studios with some people. Uh, you know, I still won't mention any names, but like uh, even their symbols, all three or four of the top brands, <laughs> just whatever. Yeah. Sounds the best. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm looking at mine right now. I have a Pisces, a Zildjian, um, an Istanbul right here, a Gop. So yeah, I'm I'm so I I guess with with my sticks, I do appreciate Vic Firth. Um, I'm not really a gear guy, just Vic Firth is like it works for me, so I don't overthink it. Yeah. Yeah. What up, uh, being from Washington? Uh, one of my questions. Uh, I know we're going back a little early earlier, but um, was Nirvana a influence for you? Obviously, that's uh, their home base. <laughs> Um, you know what's funny is Nirvana, yes. Um, although I didn't really get into Nevermind super early. I mean, I'm 33, so I was born in '87. So I was like in the late '90s when that you know record came out. What '93 or something? '92. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of prime, you know, real estate for that for that era. But um, I was kind of, I mean, so yes, I was into Nirvana. But anything else like uh, Soundgarden and, and and Pearl Jam, and all, I was kind of anti Seattle bands because I'm supposed to like those bands. 
you know? Yeah, I hear you. Um, but, uh, I mean, my, my playing with, you know, if you ever hear me play and with how hard I hit for no damn reason at all, definitely Dave Grohl's a huge influence on me for sure. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of like, geez, Ben, have some damn finesse. <laughs> oh, Jerry Cantrell turned 55 today, and I still can't believe that because I remember buying those CDs when they first came out. Yeah. Yeah, it just blows yeah. my mind. Yeah, I was just curious, you know, being being from that place because I was fortunate enough to have Butch Vig on my pod a few months back. Oh, awesome, man! And I am a I am a huge Nirvana fan because uh, it was sure. uh, you know it was right up my alley. But I didn't speak too much on him about producing two Nirvana albums. I just thanked him for making them possible. Um, but talking to him, he's so brilliant. There are just some folks uh, out here, and you're you're one of them yourself. But your brains are so big that you just sit and just absorb what they're going to say because they're already outdoing you with how, however their nerve functions in there are going. Some people just think uh-huh. like, you and him are a kindred spirit like that, so that's good. Oh well, I mean that's the best compliment I've heard in a long time. I'll I'll yeah. take I'll I'll use this slice and just say Butch Vig, Ben Hilsing, I'll just repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can ever get him, uh, what a nice guy to talk to, and he doesn't, you know, just like was listening to Liberty. You're not talking to him thinking about all he's accomplished because he 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 did he did indulge me and treat me like a human being, and after that I was like, oh man, Butch Vig all the way. Good for you, Butch. Yeah, man, I I uh, I've heard nothing but great things about that guy. I mean, he's just a servant to the music, true and true. Yeah. And, I, and I love garbage. So, I mean, his him just as a drummer is uh, uh, is I mean that individual body of work should make him as famous as he is. But um, yeah, he's a. It's always fun. Like drummers do make really good producers because we really are so much focused on the arrangement of songs and the dynamics when it comes to like how many parts are in this section and take it out. And, you know, cause we have to think of like, Oh, where's the, where should the auxiliary percussion come in? And we kind of build the story and excitement throughout the song. And so it makes sense when I hear a producer and, Oh, he was originally a drummer way back in the day. It's like, oh, of course. Yeah. We're the best, dude. Yeah. Um, one more ping. Like I said, I have ADHD, so I go all over the place. But Dude, you're it's all good. You're mentioning Motown and everything, and I actually went to Detroit for my birthday this year to see Motown. And you uh, probably already know. You probably already know this, but it kind of threw me for a loop. Uh, Marvin Gaye got his start playing drums on tracks. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah, if you ever Google it out or give it a Wikipedia, yeah, um, I can't remember all the songs off the top of my head. Some of them are hits. I think one of them's Mr. Postman, but don't hold me to that. But they're talking okay. about that. yeah, he got his he got his start. He was drumming. I mean, what a voice! Not not that you can't do both, but just imagine when he first came in, he was like, they were like, all right, we're you know you're playing drums for us right now. It just kind of threw me for a loop when I learned that. So, well, I uh, speak going back. I mean, I'll I'll follow your suit and be ADD with Jack White. I mean, are are you a fan of the Dead Weather? Jack White, yeah, 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 yeah. So he's in the band the Dead Weather, uh-huh, yeah, and. Sure. Uh, and so my favorite band is the band called The Kills. It's with Allison Mossart and Jamie Hintz, and they're kind of a two-piece. Okay. And The Dead Weather is actually Jack's band with Allison playing, or she's lead vocalist. And Jack's on drums in that band, and he is such a good drummer. Um, it's not even like, oh, it's Jack White. He's being artsy. It's like he can play this. It's like, no, he's an amazing drummer with his own sound and his own vibe. And so if any of the listeners haven't heard of The Dead Weather, it's such good. It's kind of like it's Zeppelin, bluesy, throwback, if you will, but of course with a female vocalist. And Allison is, I think, just one of the best vocalists ever. 
Um, so it's a whole different vibe, and I think everyone would dig it. Yeah, awesome. I've heard a little of them. Uh, most of his band, the Racking Tours, live in Nashville. Oh, yeah. I know a little of them more, but I will check out the rest of that now that you mention it. There's yeah. some there's some interview Jack White talks about when he started. That's what his main focus was, was drums. He actually lived in a room, and he moved all of his stuff so he could sit two drum sets in it. So it was like a little pallet on the floor, and he slept between two drum sets. I'm not surprised, man. I mean, listen to his... Listen to his, his playing. I mean, that's again, that's a drummer. You can tell that's a drummer playing those songs. If if that uh, if the way I said drummer makes any sense to people, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Some people, and he does. He has a lot of talent for one human being. But I always appreciate somebody that can that can play more than one thing and do it well. So you play more than one. I thing? know. I I mean I play yeah I play guitar and bass and um, I actually I I always have this like one you know, dream to be in like a, a band that I'm the guitarist for just to be it, you know, just to see how awkward I'll be when I stand on stage with, with just a guitar, you know, because yeah. <laughs> sure. if I go on stage with drums, dude, I mean, you give, and sorry if I'm shouting, you're on my AirPods right now. So I'm, if I'm too loud, tell me. Um, no, it's perfect. Crystal clear. Nice. But, uh, I mean, you put me in front of like 5 million people, but I got my drum set there. I'm cool as a cucumber. But, I mean, you put me with a guitar or something I have to stand in front of people, I'm just the most awkward McGillicuddy in the world. So it kind of uh, would make me want to do that just for that reason, just to have footage of how awkward I can be and, like, sure. rocking out. But, um, yeah, I've, I've, I would say past 10 p.m. when I can't make music, um, I really enjoy playing guitar. Yeah, right on. It's always fun to branch out. That's like me, like, discovering bass and everything. There's going to come a day when I'm going to try to do it on stage somewhere here in nashville and it's going to be the same way it's like boy i'm totally out of my element but i'm going to give it my all <laughs> i think it's fine i mean people just people are stoked when people are doing something you know and you can tell when people are just having a good time it's like it's like karaoke so fun it's like who cares just have fun and no one's really ever making fun of you yeah they're, they're enjoying it to some capacity that you know either way they they acknowledge you and admire you a little bit for having the uh the gall to get up on stage and do it so hundred percent. And I think that's a huge thing that people don't realize enough is that haters are, I mean, oh, I'm not even going to try and be an after school, after school special kind of here, but I agree with you. I agree. With I'm you. on board with you though. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Haters yeah. are going to hate, man. And taters are going to take. That's how they do it. I haven't had a good tater in a while, man. <laughs> I got to venture out and get one. And that wraps up episode 99 Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Special thanks to my awesome guests, Ben Hilzinger and John Arezzi. Appreciate you taking the time lending your talents. Most importantly, I want to thank you, the listener. Without you, there's no point in doing this. I really, really appreciate you. Now, if you have any questions, comments, or anybody you think would be an awesome guest, have them hit me up, joshbelcher at hotmail.com. Have a safe and happy, spectacular week. Remember, I love you for you and where you're at in life. This is Josh Belcher signing off. Until next time, peace.